When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. Welcome to Project Audion, the show that asks the question, can voice actors from across the country meet via Zoom to recreate classic shows from the golden age of radio? Hello, I'm Larry Groby with the Generic Radio Workshop. Today's radio show, My True Story, is one you probably haven't heard of. And there's a story right there. Because My True Story was on the air for almost 20 years, until 1962, and may have had nearly 5,000 broadcasts. But despite the thousands of broadcasts, maybe only a dozen recordings survive. So it's basically a lost show. Why? Well, perhaps because My True Story was a daily daytime drama aimed at housewives, a cousin to the soap operas. But unlike the soaps, My True Story told a complete story start to finish each day. And despite the title, they weren't really true. They were inspired by the tales found in True Story magazine, the original and longest lived of the confession magazines which first hit newsstands way back in 1919. True Story fictionalized the dreams and nightmares of American womanhood for 10 decades, until it seems to have just disappeared a few years ago, just as it would have turned 100. When you got past the ads for personal loveliness and laundry, you found sagas of love and betrayal, hope and despair, and those maddening teenagers. Most of the thousands of True Story radio scripts were penned by just one woman, Margaret Sangster, whose own true story is probably more inspiring today than those of the women she dreamed up. No, this show comes from another time, when men were men and women were women, and our lives seemed separate and mysterious. Now, our episode right here comes from 1958. It came to us just recently from a lady who was actually in the show as an actress when she was 10 years old. Now, I know she's listening tonight, so Christy, many thanks for the script. And I hope we do justice to my true story. My True Story, today and every day, Monday through Friday. A complete story about people and their problems, adapted from material supplied by True Story magazine. I stood in front of the doctor, who had been so kind to me, and watched him read the telegram. 
When he glanced up from it, his eyes were filled with pity. No, you weren't imagining things, Mrs. Ellington. This telegram is very definite. But you are sure it's real, Doctor? Perhaps I'm dreaming the whole thing. Perhaps I'll wake up tomorrow morning and Doug will be beside me. And I'll, I'll touch his shoulder and his eyes will open and he'll smile at me. And I'll tell him about my ugly nightmare. Oh, please, Doctor, say it's a dream. Say I'll wake up in the morning, please. Can a woman, unequipped to earn her living, make a good life for herself and her child? Hazel Ellington learns the answer to our question in today's story. I dragged myself up the steps of the subway and out onto the street. I stood for a moment, gathering courage. For all at once, it started raining cats and dogs. In the last ten hours, I'd been cleaning house on the other side of town, and I was desperately tired. I sighed, wishing I could drop in my tracks. But that wasn't possible. So I took a deep breath and plunged headlong into the downpour. It was 7.30, and Nancy, my ten-year-old daughter, would be waiting for me. I hurried along the three blocks to our flat, which was above a delicatessen. I made my way slowly up the stairs. I opened the door and stepped into a room that was dark and clammy. I switched on the light and Nancy uncurled herself from the chair nearest the window and came toward me. Oh, Mommy. Are you out of your mind, Nancy? Sitting here in the dark? I'm not scared of the dark. It's not only dark, it's icy cold. For goodness sake, light the oil on the stove so I can dry out. Okay, you are awful wet. I'll say I am. I'm wet through and I've got a sore throat, but a lot you care about that. <coughs> I should think a girl your age would feel a sense of responsibility, <coughs> but you act like a baby. You're so cross, Mommy. I didn't intend to be, but, but life crowds up on me sometimes. It crowds up on me too. You didn't come to the tea at school. I looked everywhere for you and then I stopped looking. All the other mothers were there and some of the fathers too. I'm sorry, I couldn't make it. That's what you always say. I'm sorry, I couldn't make it. I told my teacher you were coming, but you never did. I asked Mrs. Larby if I could get off early, but she, she had guests and wanted some extra ironing done, so she wouldn't let me go. Said the windows had to be washed. I'm glad it's raining. They'll be dirty again, and it'll serve her right. You said you'd come to the tea, and you didn't. You promised, and you broke your promise. A PTA tea for fifth grade parents seems pretty unimportant besides my worries, Nancy. I've told you why I couldn't come. You know I have to work. If I don't, we won't eat. I can't just do as I please the way some women can, so stop talking about that silly tea. It wasn't a silly tea. It was a beautiful tea. And I don't care whether you come to things at the school or not. You never keep a promise anyhow. I'm not going to like the oil stove either. I'm going out on the street. I'll get wet too. Nancy, don't you dare go through that door. 
Don't you dare. I'll go wherever I want to go. You don't love me one tiny bit. Why did I have a mother like you? Why, why, why? I sat there alone, shivering. I couldn't run after Nancy. I hadn't the strength. She'd hang around the newsstand or the drugstore for a while and then come home, I reassured myself. I looked around the shabby room and the tears welled up in my eyes and spilled over. I wasn't giving Nancy the kind of home a little girl needs. And I knew I lost my temper much too easily. Forgive me, Doc, I whispered. Forgive me for not taking better care of our daughter. But I can only do just so much. Oh, Doc. <laughs> Suddenly, I was back with Doug in the old days, when he'd been so carefree, so gay. He'd come to me through the twilight and I'd thrown myself into his arms. Darling, oh, it's good to be holding you again, holding you close. Mm. It's good to be kissing you again. <laughs> I was afraid you wouldn't get here, and I wanted you to get here so badly tonight. Well, you weren't expecting me, of course. I wasn't expecting you, but I had the table set for two, and I baked a cake and decorated it. A cake with one candle. It's our first anniversary, dear. We've been married a whole month. Uh, and I have an anniversary present for you. Charm bracelet? <laughs> the silver one we saw in the window? Yeah, yeah. what else? Hold out your arm, dear, and I'll fasten it around your wrist. Ah, uh, there now. It was beautiful. A charm bracelet with two charms on it already. Yeah. You know, there'll be 50 charms before we filled the bracelet. I'll send you something from every port I touch. Two charms to go on. A heart for me. It's your heart, darling. Yeah, <laughs> and an anchor, because I'm a sailor. You know, you may not love me, darling, when you see me in civilian clothes. Mm, I'll love you so much when I see you in civilian clothes that you'll be groggy. Once you're in civilian clothes, I'll know you're home to stay. Of course, you're devastating in your sailor suit. <laughs> you're devastating in that pink dress you're wearing. You know, when you asked if I'd brought you the charm bracelet, I said, what else? You mean you bought me another present? Doug, what's the second present? Well, it isn't a bracelet with two charms on it. Then? It's it's a week with seven days hanging from it. <laughs> Darling, I've got a week's leave. What do you know about that? <sighs> seven days. And we'll spend them together right here in our own flat. Ah, seven beautiful days, seven even more beautiful nights. I can't believe it. Why, we've had seven whole days and nights together. Our honeymoon was only Saturday and Sunday, and... Doug, why are they giving you a whole week off right now? Uh, don't ask yet. Ask on the evening of the sixth day, and, and I'll tell you. I don't need to ask. I already... I know already. You'll be... 
You'll be shipping out, Doug, at the end of the week, right? Uh, yes, darling, I'll be shipping out at the end of the week. Uh, but, darling, the, the war's almost over. It can't last more than a month. Oh, I swear it can't. I wish I could believe that, Doug. But it might last a year or longer. It might last two years, perhaps. It, oh, it might last here from to eternity. Oh, no, d don't allow yourself to think that it will. Uh, Hazel, tell yourself that I will hear those whistles blowing and the horns tooting before our enchanted week is over. That'll be constructive thinking. Ah, uh, but Hazel, let's not talk about the war now. Let's, uh, let's have dinner. Let's eat our anniversary cake, and then we'll turn out the lights and I'll hold you in my lap. Come on, darling, we're wasting time. <laughs> It was an enchanted week. It went by faster than fast. I prayed every night that the hours would drag. But they didn't. Each one was a minute and each day an hour. And then finally it was our last night together. And once again I was on Doug's lap with my head nestled into that place between his collarbone and his ear. And... I'm pulling out an hour before dawn, darling. At that horrid time when vitality's lowest. Have you any idea, Doug, how soon you'll be back? And, darling, I must be honest. Your guess is as good as mine. I don't know how I'll get along without you. I've been living in the clouds this last week. <laughs> how can I drop back to Earth all alone, by myself? Well, you know, you're not the only woman who's had to do it, dear. <laughs> But I keep forgetting you're not a woman. You're just a kid. Eighteen isn't a kid. You're just a kid yourself. You're barely twenty. Hey, I, I'm going on twenty-one, sweetheart. Heck, I'm an old man compared to you. You know, the minute I come back, dear, we'll go out to the Middle West on a second honeymoon. And you'll meet my folks. But, Doug, let's phone them tonight and tell them that we're married. I'll feel better if they know we're married before you go away. Yeah, you'll feel better, maybe, but I won't. Uh, Dad'll rant and rave over the phone. He'll call me every name under the sun, and he'll browbeat you. And I'll have to have a fight with him. And then Mama'll come on the phone, and she'll cry, and... Oh, no thanks. I don't want anything to spoil our last evening. Well, if you feel that way. But your father can't be as bad as you say. Doug, after all, he's your father. He must love you. Oh, sure. <laughs> he loves me. But love and discipline go hand in hand as far as Dad's concerned. Yeah, he, he didn't believe in spare the rod to spoil the child. <laughs> My bottom still aches when I think about the spankings it gave me. He can't spank you when he's halfway across the continent. Oh, he can spank me verbally. Don't you forget it. <laughs> he's done it over the phone before. And, well, if he ever gets a chance, he'll probably do it again. Why did you say that? What? If he ever gets the chance. Oh, oh, I don't know, really. You're afraid that something's going to happen to you, aren't you, Doug? No, I'm not. Oh, but honey, now that you brought it up, if anything does happen, I want you to know all our papers are in that little leather suitcase of mine. You know, the marriage license and the name and address of the minister who married us and, well, a lot of other stuff. Don't talk about things like that. Oh, I, I must, darling, because... 
if anything happens to me, you must go to my folks and take that suitcase with you and, you know, explain everything. But if you're so scared of your father... Ah, he'd be different with you. He wouldn't spank a girl. Now, promise me, dear, that you'll go to them if... Okay, Doug. I promise. Now I feel better. I love you, Hazel. I love you so terribly much. And when it's all over and I come back, we'll, we'll have a little house somewhere in the country within sight and sound of the sea. Perhaps it'll be a little white house with roses climbing over the door. Go on, dear. Well, we'll do all the fixing up ourselves. I mean the inside painting, and I'll build the cabinets such as you've never seen before for the kitchen. <laughs> You'd be surprised about how handy I am. And finally... Yes? I'll build a cradle by hand for our baby. What baby? Well, the one we have when I come home. You want a baby, don't you? Of course I want a baby. I want two or three, maybe four or five. I was raised in an orphanage, you know, and I used to stand with my nose pressed to the glass of the nursery, looking in at all the babies. I loved them all and wanted them all. Ah, poor little Hazel. I was an only child, and when Dad was tough with me, I wished I were an orphan. Only children are lonely, especially when they have stern fathers and fraidy cat mothers. Our babies won't have a stern father. Our babies will have a father with a heart as soft as butter. They won't have fraidy cat mom, either. <laughs> There's only one thing I'm afraid of, and that's being separated from you. Well, when I come home, we'll, we'll never have another separation. Why, we'll spend years and years together, darling, with, without one quarrel. Oh, won't that be sort of monotonous? If we don't quarrel, we'll never have fun of making up, darling. <laughs> Why did I marry such a matter-of-fact girl? Why couldn't I marry somebody as romantic as I am? <laughs> Kiss me, honey. Okay. Here is a matter-of-fact kiss, Doug. <laughs> and here's another matter-of-fact kiss. Well? <laughs> I should have my head examined. There's nothing matter-of-fact about your kisses, sweetheart. They're made up of stardust and sheer, unadulterated romance. Okay, darling, let, let's not talk about the future. Let's talk about the present. Let's talk about now. I don't now. care. Because the week's almost over. You're going tomorrow when the sky's still dark. You're leaving before dawn. <laughs> darling... Hold me close so I'll forget everything except your arms around me and your lips on mine. Doug left me in bed. He said he'd be want he he said he wanted to remember me warm and cuddly with my dark hair fanned out over the pillow. But when I heard the door open and close behind him, I raced to the window and watched him walk away from me until he turned around the corner. I watched him out of sight, which is bad luck. I don't think I ate or slept very much during the week after Doug left, 
But finally, I pulled myself together and was able to carry on. Two months, two months went by, two months without a word from Doug, and one day during the fourth month of our marriage, I fainted across the counter in the department store where I clerked and was taken to the office of the company doctor, and he examined me, and... Well, Mrs. Ellington, I think you'll live. Oh, I'm sure I will. In fact, you'll take a whole new lease on life when you hear the news. News? What news? The best news in the world. You're going to have a baby. I'm going to... have a baby? That's right. But my, my husband's away, Doctor. The personnel manager gave me your dossier. As I understand it, your husband's in the Navy? That's right. And how long have you been married, Mrs. Ellington? Over three months. Are you sure I'm going to have a baby? Perfectly sure. That I am. And how old are you, Mrs. Ellington? I mean, forgive me for saying so, but you look so very young. I'm... I'm 18. And your husband? He's 20. Just a couple of kids. Are you living with another girl, Mrs. Ellington? No, I live alone in a two-bedroom apartment on 3rd Street. I wouldn't want to live with anybody but Doug. Oh, I know what you mean. But at a time like this, I think you should have someone with you. My husband will be back soon. When he left, he said the war would only last a little while longer. Oh, and I'm inclined to agree with him. But even so, quite a lot of time may elapse between an armistice and his discharge. Oh, well, let's not cross any bridges. Have you any relatives? No, sir. I was raised in an orphanage. Has your husband any people? He has a mother and father in the Middle West. They own a dairy farm. It's a very prosperous farm, according to Doug. Well, why don't you go out there, Mrs. Ellington, and stay with them? I'm sure they'd be glad to have you. I can't. Why not? They don't know that Doug and I are married. We never told them. Now that's a pity. And why was that? Um, Doug was an only child, and, well, he's sort of scared of his father. No, not scared exactly, but his father's the explosive type. And Doug was afraid that he might get angry and put a damper on our happiness. I see. Well, have you a regular doctor, Mrs. Ellington? No, I haven't. I've never been ill. Not that I can remember. Why? Is there anything wrong with me? Oh, no, no, no. No, there's nothing wrong with you, my dear. But every expectant mother needs regular checkups. Well, I doubt that you have much money to throw around, so I'll handle your case. And now, you better go home and get some rest. I'll explain to your department manager. I went home in a taxi. It was an amazing luxury. But I didn't feel up to battling with the subway crowd. I made myself a cup of tea and went directly to bed. And lay there thinking about Doug and the cottage we'd have and the cradle he'd make by hand for our baby. The days went by and became weeks and the weeks became months and then, when I was four months pregnant, everything happened at once. I came home one night and found a fire engines in our street. And a policeman told me that I couldn't go through the lines even though I explained that the burning house was my house. And three days later, as I poked through the ashes that were still warm looking for a certain suitcase, I received a telegram from the government. <laughs>
I read it through twice, but it didn't seem to make sense, so the next morning I went to the office of the company doctor. And seeing me, he rose quickly. Mrs. Ellington, you look like a ghost. I think I am a ghost. Did anybody tell you that the place I live in caught fire and that everything was burned? Why, no. That was three days ago, and today when I was there trying to find things that belonged to Doug and me, I got this telegram. Will you read it, Doctor? Why, of course. What does it say? Read it. Well? Well what? I just, I want to know if it says what I think it says. Yes, my dear. It says your husband's ship was torpedoed and all hands aboard were lost. I'm sorry for you. So, so sorry. But, but isn't, it, isn't it possible that I'm dreaming? That I'll wake up tomorrow and the whole thing will be a nightmare. The tug will be beside me in bed and I'll touch his shoulder. Then he'll wake up and I'll, I'll tell him about my foolish dream. No, it isn't a dream. You must be very brave, Mrs. Ellington. You owe it to your child. After all, your child is a part of Doug that's going on and on. And on and on and... But where will I go, Doctor? You have only one solution, Mrs. Ellington. You must go to your in-laws on that dairy farm. Have you enough money to pay your fare to the Middle West? Why, oh, yes. I, I think so. I haven't, I haven't spent much money since Doug's been away. Yes, Doctor. I think I have just about enough. Well, we know that at the beginning of the story, Hazel was alone, that she was squeezing out a hand-to-mouth existence with her ten-year-old child. Did something go wrong? Did Doug's parents refuse to see her and give her shelter, or couldn't she find them? She'll tell you what happened in the second chapter of her true story, and you'll hear from her in a moment. Even if you must do horse work every day, you can still have lovely, more youthful-looking hands, hands you'll be proud of. How? Use Truchet, new heavy-duty Truchet for hard-worked hands. You see, hard-worked hands heal twice as fast with new heavy-duty Truchet with silicones. Kitchen tests prove it. That's right, kitchen tests with women just like you. What happened to their hands can happen to you, and new Truchet helps protect your hands through every chore you do, just when you need protection most, with winter's cold, drying winds hurting your hands even more, making them rough and red. And now, for a limited time only, you can save seven cents on the five-ounce bottle of Truchet. Truchet. Now in the beautiful new bottle with a graceful spiral design, you can get Truchet today for lovelier, more youthful-looking hands. New Truchet with silicones. Act now. Save seven cents. And 
And now, here's Hazel Ellington waiting to lead you into the second chapter of her true story. Hazel, did you follow the doctor's advice? Did you go to Doug's parents and throw yourselves on their mercy, or should I say, generosity? Yes. I went to Doug's parents, Mr. Hanley. I told Doug that I'd felt as if I were under an anesthetic during the hours that led up to our marriage. It had been a blissful anesthetic. Well, on the trip to the Middle West, I was again drifting. But this time, the anesthetic wasn't sweet. It was painful and bitter. Finally, I reached the town which the farm was located and took a taxi out from the railroad station. I recognized the farm from Doug's description, and suddenly he was closer than he'd been since I'd received the telegram. I went up the path that led to the door and rang the bell. And the door was opened by a slim, gray-haired little woman who stared at me. Yes? You're Doug's mother, aren't you? I know you anywhere from his description. Yes, I'm Doug's mother, but who are you? Doug's wife. But, but we had no idea he was married. He didn't want to tell you when it was all so new and beautiful. The night before he was shipped out, I asked him to phone you, but he said his father would rant and rave over the phone and call him every name under the sun. He said he didn't want his father to spoil our last evening together. Come inside and set down your suitcase. Thank you. Now, step into the living room and I'll call Doug's father. Just follow me. By the way, what's your name? Hazel. And your last name? It's, it's Ellington, like yours, of course. Uh, yes, of course. I suppose you got the telegram, too? Yes. We received a telegram. Stay here, Hazel, and I'll bring my husband in a jiffy. He's in the garden back of the house. I won't be a minute. I'll never forget my interview with Doug's father. He was just exactly as Doug had described him. A stern, domineering man, and he certainly did rant and rave. Now I understood why Doug hadn't wanted to call him on that last precious night. I tried to face up to him while Doug's mother, her cheeks ashen, lingered in the outskirts of the scene, like a shadow. Hey, you're married to our son. Where's your proof, miss? Well, the ring I'm wearing. What's the engraving inside say? We, we didn't have anything engraved in the ring. There wasn't time. We decided to get married very suddenly and... Yeah, I bet. Where's your wedding certificate? I don't, I don't have it. While I was at work a few days before I got the telegram from the War Department, I... The house I lived in caught fire, and it was burned. Oh, it was, eh? Yes. All of our, our papers, including our wedding certificate. That's a lie, and you know it. I think she's telling the truth, Father. Oh, you do, do you? Well, you either keep out of this or leave the room. But I, I can't help but feel that... Leave the room and close the door after you. Yeah, yes, but I, I do think... Get out and close the door! Why did you do that? She's sweet. 
She's a fool. Now look here. Doug was only 20. He couldn't have gotten married without my consent. You're just a kid yourself. I'm almost 19. Ready to have a fling with any sailor that came along, eh? No, sir. Doug and I were married. You're lying. You know it's hard enough to lose a son without a cheap girl saying she's married to him. Well, for all I know, you weren't even acquainted with Doug. You might have got his name from some other sailor and worked the whole thing up just to get money out of me. Mr. Ellington, I am down and out. I used my last cent to get here from New York, and I haven't a penny left. And I'm going to be the mother of your son's child. But I won't listen to another word you say. I'm going. Well, it's just as well. Because if you didn't go of your own free will, I'd have put you out, you and your dime store wedding ring. No, young woman, I guess I'm not quite the fool you thought I'd be. Yes. Doug's father was a cruel, harsh man. I'd left the comfortable farmhouse and made my way to the nearest town where I found a job as a waitress in a hash house. And when I saved enough money for a bus fare, I'd gone back to my starting place, New York. I'd given birth to little Nancy in a charity ward, and as soon as I was strong enough, I'd taken whatever jobs I could get, leaving her at day nursery. And now Nancy was ten years old, a dangerous age, and things had reached a climax. I snapped out of my revive. As the clock chimed ten times. For suddenly I realized that Nancy was still out in the rain. Horrified, I stared at the door and was almost there when Nancy came in slowly into the flat. I grabbed her by the shoulders and I shook her hard. Let go of me. Let go of me. Don't shake Where have me, you mother. been, Nancy? And what have you been up to? Answer me. I was scared almost to death. What's your neck now? Your back. Are you glad I'm back? Yes, Nancy. I certainly am. Then why are you shaking me? I don't know. I. Where were you, Nancy? I was in the drugstore, reading comics, and a man bought me a soda. A man bought you a soda? Nancy, you mustn't talk to strangers. Haven't I told you that a hundred times? It isn't safe. I like sodas. Nancy, listen to me. Please listen you're just a little girl now. But certain men aren't very nice to children. Please, promise me that you won't let strangers buy you sodas or, or candy or... I won't promise. Nancy, you're the only thing I've got in the world, honey. But it's terribly hard to raise a little girl without a daddy to help. I'm worried all the time because... I'm not doing right by you. That's why I get cross so often. But I, I do my best for you, darling. Really, I do. Oh, is that so? Well, you didn't come to the school tea, and you promised you would. All the other mothers came. You were the only one who didn't. I'm going to bed. I was sick at heart when I went into work the next day. Nancy continued to be strange and growing and standoffish with me. Until one night, I noticed a sudden change in her. I came home worn out as usual and found that she'd already fixed supper and set the table. 
There were colored paper napkins at our places, and she made a gooey salad. Her manner was strange, half defiant, half pleading. Everything's all ready. I've been fixing things ever since I came home from school, Mother. The table looks lovely, darling. Why, you've even made a salad, and I love salads. It's certainly a help to Mother when you pitch in like this. I, I'm glad you like it. I've been chosen to be one of the singing angels in our class play. Mother, only six girls out of our whole grade were picked to be in the chorus, and I'm one of them. What? How wonderful! I'm terribly proud of you, Nancy, but of course you've always had a sweet voice. That's what the coach said. Only thing is, we have to rent the costumes. It'll cost a dollar and a half for each angel, and I have to bring the money tomorrow. Do you suppose you could possibly... A dollar and a half sounds like so little. The way I look at a dollar and a half, well, it's six loaves of bread or five quarts of milk. It's a difference between keeping your head above water or going under. And... Okay, I... then. I'll tell them I can't afford to be an angel. Oh, yes, you can. Any time I can make an angel out of you. <laughs> For a dollar and a half, it's as good as done. And to heck with bread and milk. Oh, Mother, you're pr precious. I, I didn't like to ask you, but, oh, I'm so happy. I had so little of Doug left. My wedding ring, a pressed rose, a faded theater stub, letters, a dim snapshot, a silver bracelet with two charms on it. Directly after supper, I took the bracelet to a pawn shop. And when I came back, I gave Nancy her dollar and a half. The bracelet hadn't been worth much except for its sentimental value, which was beyond everything on earth. When I gave Nancy the money, she threw her arms around my neck. She hadn't done that since the episode of the PTAT party. Oh, gee, Mother, thanks an awful lot. You'll come to the play, won't you? Nothing will keep me away. I love you, Mother. After this, I'm going to try to be a good girl. I promise, on my honor. Oh, darling. I know it's hard sometimes, Nancy, but we do love each other and we'll get along. You bet we will. We'll get along just fine. But Nancy wasn't in the play. When I entered the school auditorium just before the curtain went up, I was all agog. But only five angels came onto the stage. When the play was half over, I slipped out and went home. And there was Nancy, laying face down on the floor, her body shaken with sobs. I took her in my arms and I held her tight until her sobs died away to a mere whisper. And then I asked her, what was wrong? It was Carol Sue. It was the chief angel. Then it was a war baby. Then I didn't have any father. I stared at my child, aghast. What was this anyway? Slowly, I asked her to repeat herself, and she did. But her voice wasn't torn with sobs now. It was dead level, and she told me Carol Sue said that she didn't have any father. She did. And she said I couldn't possibly be a nice little girl because you were a scrub woman. Listen to me, Nancy. Your father was the finest man that ever lived. 
He died fighting for his country. You can go back and brag about him to Carol Sue because it's the truth. You believe me, don't you, dear? I believe you, but Carol Sue won't believe me. As for being a scrub woman, well, you know I'm cleaning other people's houses to get money for you, darling. I know. Can I go to bed now? I'm tired. Of course you may go to bed. It's no wonder you're tired. Will you kiss me goodnight? Yes, I'll kiss you goodnight. It's hard to be good in this world, isn't it, Mother? Very, dear. Very hard. But we must keep on trying, no matter what. Sometimes it's hard to keep on trying, isn't it? Good night, Mother. I'm sorry about the money we spent on the angel costume. It was wasted money, wasn't it? And we need money so bad. <laughs> I watched Nancy creep out of the room. She was suffering because I had made a nice life for her. Suddenly I went to my bureau and lifted out a box in which I kept a few memories of Doug. I took from it a faded snapshot and placed it beside one of Nancy that a street photographer had taken the summer before. Feature by feature, the two faces were identical. I placed the two pictures in an envelope and sat down to write a letter. I wrote, Dear Mr. Ellington, you hate me, but you're Doug's father, and you can't hate his child who didn't ask to be born. I can't give her the home or background she needs, but you can give her both, so I'm begging you to take her and raise her properly for your son's sake. The next morning, heavy-eyed, I sat down to breakfast opposite Nancy, who was just as heavy-eyed. I had funny dreams last night. I did, too. Have some cereal, Nancy. I'm not hungry, Mother. I don't want any cereal. But Nancy, you'll starve before school's out. I'm not going to school anymore. But you must, dear. If you make me go to school, I'll run away. I haven't the heart to argue with you, Nancy. You can stay home today if you want to, and we'll talk it out tonight and reach some decision. Okay. Here's a quarter, darling. You can get a soda at the drugstore for your lunch. Why, why thanks, Mother. Thanks a lot. <laughs> On the way to the house in which I was working that day, I posted the letter. I sent it airmail, special delivery. They would reach its, it would soon reach its destination. I'd have an answer by the end of the week. When I came home from work, Nancy had had a runny nose and streaming eyes. So I had no, I had a reason to keep her home from school. Another day went by, and another. Time passed slowly. But on the fifth night, when I came home from work and opened the door, I heard voices. I stood just outside the door, listening. He must have had fun living on a farm, climbing trees and swimming in the deep whole summers and skating winters with dogs and cats and a pony of his own. No wonder he was so awful good and nice. Living in a place like that, no wonder Mother loved him. Would you like to live in a place like that? Would I? 
brought some snapshots. Look, dear, this is the house. It's, it's beautiful. And this is the barn, and that's the prize horse. She's won ever so many blue ribbons at state fairs, Nancy. She's a real champion. She has a white star in her nose. Her name is Star. These little girls live on the next farm, dear. Helen, she's the eldest, is 11, and Janie, she's the youngest, is 9. I'd fit just between them. I'm 10. Would they play with me, Grandma, do you think? Well, they certainly would, and I know that... Did, did you hear something, Nancy? I think someone's at the door. Yes, there is. It's Mother, Grandma. Mother, guess who this is? I know who it is, Nancy. You just called her by name. When did she arrive? She's been here ever since two hours ago. She's been waiting for you to come home. She is pretty, Mother. She has the bluest eyes and the softest hands, and her hair is white, like the frosting on a cake. She's been waiting for you. How do you do, Mrs. Ellington? I was beginning to be alarmed, Hazel. It's getting so dark. Mother's always late. She works terrible hard. But not hard enough to make the grade, Mrs. Ellington. Nancy, darling, will you go down to the grocery store and get a loaf of bread and a pound of coffee? You can get a pint of ice cream, too, from the drugstore. So your grandmother and you can have a little party. Okay. Here's the money, dear. <laughs> Run along. Thanks, Mother. I'll be right back, Grandma. So my letter reached, it, reached its destination. Yes, Hazel, it, it did. And I thought this was the best way to answer it. It was the kindest way. Nancy's fallen in love with you at first sight. I'm glad. Will you take her back with you? Indeed I will. She's a darling child. She deserves the best. I can't give it to her. But you can. Yes, I can. But tell me this, Hazel. How can you part with a child who's so precious? Doesn't she mean as much to you as the... She means everything to me. Everything on this earth and heaven, too. She's all that's left of, to me of Doug. That's why I'm willing to give her up. Doug's mother was studying me, her blue eyes alive with interest, and with something else that I couldn't quite analyze. It wouldn't be sympathy. After all these years, Doug's parents had never given me one drop of sympathy. After a moment, she spoke. You said you were willing to give Nancy up because she's all that's left of, left to you of my son, but that doesn't make sense. It makes all the sense in the world, Mrs. Ellington. If she had meant less to me, I wouldn't give her up. I'd struggle along somehow. It's because I love her so much that I want her to have a chance to have the sort of life Doug had. But... Well, what will you do when she's gone? What will I do? Well, I suppose I'd go through the motions for a while and then... Well, don't think I'm asking for pity, Mrs. Ellington. And don't think I'm being sorry for myself. 
I'll never cease to be grateful that you came for her. You alone. You said you'd go through the motions for a while and then, Hazel. What do you mean by and then? Why, I don't know yet. How soon can you take her? Well, there's a plane that leaves at midnight. Can, can you be ready by then? She has very few clothes. Yes, she can be ready by that time. How about neighborhood bills? Well, they won't affect Nancy. We never owe bills anyhow. In this part of town, it's a question of cash. Nobody has any credit. Oh, that's good. It simplifies things. There's only this. You won't let him be cross to her, will you? Your husband, Doug's father. I mean, once he's lived with her for a while, he'll have to admit that she's Doug's child. All her mannerisms are like Doug's. Her, her way of reasoning things out and her trick of frowning when she's happy and laughing when she's upset. And <laughs> please don't let him take it out on her. Oh, because... my dear, my dear. I, I guess you don't know. I don't know what? My husband died three years ago. I'd have made an effort to locate you before, but he wouldn't let me. And after he died, I couldn't find any trace of you whatsoever. He was a hard man, and now that he's... with Doug, well, I guess maybe they've talked it out together, and... I believed in you from the beginning, Hazel. Can I help you with the packing? Or, or maybe I'd better go out and phone the airport about reservations for the three of us. The, the three of us? Certainly. Do you think I'm so cruel that I'd take Nancy away from you? Heaven knows you fought for her, and heaven knows you're going to keep her. <laughs> oh, Hazel, you poor child. <laughs> Now that's Nancy. If you don't let her see you crying, pull yourself together, dear, for her sake. Well, back so soon, Nancy. Yes, Grandma. I got both chocolate and strawberry ice cream. They're my favorites. Oh, mine too. It's going to be a real party. <sighs> yes, darling. The realest party that ever was. Somehow, Mrs. Ellington, I think there'll be four of us on that plane going home. We won't be able to see Doug, but we'll know he's with us. So, Hazel has won her battle, and all I can say is that she deserves a couple of wound stripes and a purple heart and a medal of honor. She's beside me in the studio, and you wouldn't recognize her if you saw her. There's been such a change. Her cheeks are rosy, her eyes are bright. After all, she's only 30. She's still a very young woman. How's everything, Hazel? Everything is simply wonderful, Mr. Hallahy. Mama Ellington and I love each other dearly and devotedly. And Nancy's blooming. She had her 11th birthday the other day. And we gave her a big party for her. Her teacher tells me that she's the most popular child in her class. Well, Hazel's a happy woman. And I hope, even though she loved Doug dearly and devotedly, she'll try and find another man to take his place. For, as I just said, she's still a young and pretty woman. Listen tomorrow to My True Story, brought to you every day, Monday through Friday. 
If you have enjoyed the program which you have just heard, the editors of True Story magazine, who supplied the material from which it was adapted, are sure you will also enjoy reading the current issue of True Story magazine. Buy your copy of True Story magazine today at all newsstands. My True Story is adapted for radio by Margaret E. Sangster. Featured in the cast today were Joan Lazar as the unhappy young mother, Ina Cummings, aged 10, as her 10-year-old child, Claudia Morgan and Merrill Joles as her husband's parents, and George Firth as her young sailor husband. The music was by Rosa Rio. My True Story is directed by Kenneth McGregor and produced by Ted Lloyd. This is Ed Hurley. That wraps up another Project Audion show, and we hope you enjoyed discovering this lost episode from Old Time Radio. Please let your friends know about all of Project Audion's radio recreations by sharing our YouTube and Facebook links. What would you like to hear for future Audion episodes? Send us a note. Until next time, thanks for listening. Don't forget to use Truchet. <laughs> <laughs> That's how she's going to get her n- next husband. Is. <laughs> well, her hands are so Today, soft. I'm going to use only <laughs> very, very soft. Hello, darling. <laughs> but you're soaking in it. <laughs> her hair is so white, just like the Truchet lotion that you use. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> and always smoke just... camel cigarettes, kids. <laughs> <laughs> Every other week, right here on Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network, you get a brand new episode of Bells in the Bat Free, for which we apologize. However, if for some reason you can't get enough Bells in the Bat Free, and after you've asked a professional therapist for help, head over this way on Fridays. Friday Follies has all the old Bells in the Bat Free, going back to 2006, you know, back in the prehistoric days when it sounded like this to get on the internet. <laughs> anyway, if you want to catch the old ancient bells in the bat free, catch it on Friday Follies right here on the Mutual Audio Network. And we apologize in advance for that as well.